Please turn in the Bibles that are in front of you, in the pew if you don't have one, uh, to the Gospel of Luke. I'm not going to read a lengthy chapter, but I want you to know that in that, uh, in, in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, we have the character who's before us in full display, John, John the Baptist. Let's just open with a word of prayer. Dear God, our Father, as we visit this dry and dusty desert of Israel, as we look at the life of John the Baptist, the one who came to prepare the way for the Lord, we just pray that you would prepare our hearts for his coming in new ways into our minds and hearts as we learn uh, the lessons from, from him. We just pray that you would minister to us through the message of the Spirit of God, through your word, and help us to respond to you in a way that will uh, help us to worship you more uh, frequently and serve you more ably. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a question that has often uh, come to mind to me, and I'm sure it's come to you in different occasions and circumstances. Who would I be if I was born there? Um, one example of that is uh, for, for myself was uh, one night uh, my traveling companion and I landed in Mumbai, India. And we looked out at the fencing around the, uh, around the airport uh, parking area where the taxi picked us up. Taxi's a kind word. Um, this was the scene that was there. Uh, shanties stacked, cardboard shanties stacked one upon the other, and people living in, in unbelievable for us squalor. I remember just that question rolling in my mind, who would I be if I was born there? Another example, when Peggy and I were traveling in Peru on business, uh, we had another uh, example of that, you know, the Andes Mountains, desert mountains, the driest desert in the world is uh, at the bottom of the slide. And at the top of the slide were some images. These are actual paintings of uh, people who were trying to eke out uh, uh, a living from the dry desert of Peru. And that same question rolled around in our heads. From South Porcupine, we have never seen anything like this. And we asked ourselves the question, who would we be if we were uh, living as these people were living? The story of John the Baptist comes to us from the Israeli desert. And as we learn from his story this morning, let's keep that question in the forefront of our minds. Who would we be if we lived as John the Baptist lived before the Lord? And let us try and learn the lessons from his life as we seek to prepare our own hearts and the hearts of people around us for the soon coming of the Lord Jesus again. The story begins uh, with the birth, the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist, and I'm going to assume that all of us know that story uh, fairly well. We'll look at snapshots of it, uh, but try to pull out some of the things that maybe were not so obvious in our uh, traditional un understand or our, our our re reading of the stories maybe when we were much younger. John the Baptist was born into a family where both parents 
were faithful to God. Uh, the father, Zacharias, was a priest, and he uh, served in the temple as part of the as par- a part of his role as being a descendant of the priestly division of Israel. Uh, and these were the ongoing people who were called to uh, serve in the in the sanctuary or in the temple as it was at the time of Christ, where the second temple was there from which they served. Luke 1 and 5, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. And just a pause here, in, in Judaism, in the Old Testament and New Testament times, there was always an, a, a, a meaning to the names given to people, usually a spiritual meaning or a religious meaning. And that has kind of faded out in our culture. Uh, Philip means lover of horses, you know. Uh, in those days, the name, name meant something. And it's, off, it's always good studying scripture to look up what that name meant. In the case of Zechariah, Yahweh remembers. He was named that as a boy and he didn't realize that he would be dealing with a, with a family situation where he, they were, he and his wife were hopeful for children and uh, God didn't remember them. Uh, they were not with children at the time of the uh, beginning of this story. He belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And uh, as a priest, uh, they, were, they were called by, uh, by lot, actually, if they belonged to that priestly uh, assemblage that King David had initiated. Abijah was one of those uh, divisions of priesthood from which Zechariah was born. And in that uh, priesthood, they would be chosen by lot uh, one or several times a year, as is stated in the traditional books of Mishnah, that they would be called to go to Jerusalem from where they lived to serve in the sanctuary or in the temple. And in that calling, uh, they would have to leave their home. And he was that that family. We don't know what village they were from, but they were from uh, the hill country surrounding Jerusalem in Judea somewhere. He would travel up and do his uh, worship services in the temple as he was called to do. He would leave his wife, whose name was uh, Elizabeth, meaning the oath of God. And they were both, of double honor in their culture, descendants of Aaron. And they were, they were uh, it says of them that they lived uh, holy and blame, or blameless and righteous lives in the keeping of the things that God had given them to do in their time frame. They were blameless. And what a what a privilege that John the Baptist had to be born into that kind kind of a family. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. The the calling of uh, the, their new calling was about to change, and uh, when Zechariah was serving one day in the temple. Uh, it says this in Luke chapter 1 and verse 10. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. In the service of the temple, the, uh, the, the role of Zechariah was to go before this altar of incense and 
one, uh, twice a day, I think it was. It might have just his, might have been just his turn at night, and he would set some uh, smelly uh, herbs on on the on the coals on the altar, and as these were creating in, uh, an aroma upwards in into the temple, uh, the prayers he would offer would be not only for uh, for the for God, but for the people of God and intercession before God for them. And we can only imagine that he was praying for himself as well in their predicament that they were in uh, being barren uh, with children. It may have been during that time that he was praying when the angel appeared. It says that the angel appeared on the right side of the altar. That is an interesting detail. Uh, But it's very clear that what was intended was that that angel was appearing from the from the authority position on the right-hand side of, of the altar. And he was there as the representative of God, the angel of God, calling himself Gabriel later in the text. And he was there to deliver the message of God, the calling upon the life, the new calling upon the life of Zacharias and, and Elizabeth, and for indeed for John the Baptist to come. So John was privileged to be born into... Uh, significance by the announcement of the angel. Uh, Luke one fifteen says, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, an Old Testament prophet, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedience of disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared uh, for the Lord. So he was born into a significant calling of God, and uh, that that calling was one that uh, uh, he would follow for his life, as we are about to learn, to make a, ready, a people prepared uh, for the Lord. He he was called as a forerunner, and as a forerunner, I just want to highlight three things, and there is so much here in in his story. But the first one uh, was his naming. Uh, Gabriel came to uh, Zechariah and said, you shall call his, his name John. And guess what John means? A very familiar name in our society, but it meant in those days uh, the grace of God or the graciousness of God. And so we have in his naming by God uh, a, a further definition of what his task, his calling was to be. He was to be the recipient of, recipient of God's grace in his own calling and also the dispenser, if I can use that word, uh, of graciousness to the, to the people that he was uh, uh, called to serve on behalf of the Lord. Uh, he was to be given the name John. An interesting detail is that all the relatives of, of, uh, John, uh, of, John, of uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth were saying, oh, don't name him that. We, we don't have any relatives by that name. We don't have that as part of our lineage. Uh, we don't want that name. And the calling of God was uh, there. And it was, uh, I think if my memory serves me correctly, it was Elizabeth that said, no, we were told by this angel to name him uh, John. And that's what his, his name will be. So he was named uh, by the angel of the Lord. I'm going to pause there for a moment and just reflect on our calling. When we think about this individual, we say, okay, he had a privileged calling. Uh, Who of us had heralds around 
our mother and father who came into the house and said, you're going to have a son and his name is going to be called this and that. And well, not many of us think we have that kind of privilege. So of course he would follow the Lord. Of course he would uh, do what God had called him to do. Uh, it was It was destined that he would do that and so on. But I just want us to reflect on the on the fact that each and every one of us are set on this planet by the calling of God. We are called by him to live for him, to be his, and to serve him with our with our whole heart. Uh, yes, we don't have names that have a biblical meaning. We don't have angels that surrounded our parents. Some of us were privileged to have Christian parents. Some of us were born into the world and uh, uh, God has sought us and called us in different ways. And I, I would like you just to record in your interviewing and discussing with people how they have been called by the Lord. And I think you'll find that just about universally, you'll find that every individual has felt that sometime or other in his life, the call of God, whether it was the witness of creation, whether it was the hearing of God's word, or whether it was the testimony of their conscience, or whether it was some Christian friend uh, of theirs that spoke to them, uh, you'll, you'll find that, I think you will find, that just everyone has been touched by the call of God on their lives in some way or other. And we just earnestly pray that everyone who hears his call will respond like this family uh, well, family, this family did as they were called to prepare the coming of the Lord. So not only was he given a name, but he was given a, um, as I've called it here, the, the purpose of God. And that purpose, we're very familiar with it, uh, that he was called to prepare uh, the way for the coming Lord. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this news that the Lord, that John uh, will will prepare the Lord's way, and he will uh, serve God in that particular way. One of the things as you read through this story is quite fascinating is to see the response. You almost pass over them, as I, as, or I almost passed over them as I was reading them, but you see the, the building of this momentum, of the awareness of people around uh, that there was something special happening in the life of John the Baptist. Uh, from the time that Zachari- remember from Zachariah's offering in the temple, uh, all of the people were worshiping outside. He was alone by the altar of incense, but all around him were surrounded the people who recognized that something unique was happening. When John didn't, uh, pardon me, when Zacharias didn't appear right away, he had been given this message. He came out. He couldn't speak. We all know the story. But around them was all at the beginning of this building of the momentum of the message that uh, God wanted proclaim- proclaimed in that whole country, to prepare for the coming of of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world. And uh, here we have, uh, when when, uh, Zacharias uh, finally was no longer dumb uh, by speech, uh, it says in, in verse 65, the neighbors were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child uh, going to, to be? And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And we have that wonderful, uh, those wonderful words of Zechariah that outlined in detail 
the prophecies and the, and the, uh, the, the, the that surrounded his son and uh, what his purpose again uh, was going to be, and it was articulated again, and we won't take the time to read that. John the Baptist was to be the forerunner. By his name, the dispenser of grace, purposed by God to prepare the way. But he was also presented as a, as a Nazarite, and that's uh, not a word that's used in the text, but the description of uh, the way John the Baptist would dress and where he would live and how, what his lifestyle would be was that uh, pretty much aligned with being a, a Nazarite. He was to remain separate from the normal defilements of divine service. He was, he was, uh, he was to follow in this, uh, the dressing of a, of a clothes of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. Peg looked in the closet this morning and uh, looked for these clothing that I could wear and deliver a soliloquy as if I was John the Baptist, but I declined and uh, tried to give you some pictures uh, of him eating some uh, locusts and wild honey and preaching with the dress-up clothing that he was using that day. Now, all of that kind of humorous side of it, remember that what is happening here is something that is was very specifically outlined by God according to his purpose. He was starting to do a new thing in Israel, in the Jewish nation. He was wanting his bearer of that news to stand out as someone that didn't come from the annals of power in Jerusalem. He was coming from the desert of Judea. He wasn't dressed in the finery garb of a, of a high priest or a, or a normal day-to-day priest. He was dressed by, like someone who was quite different than, than uh, just growing up as a young priest, and that was not the calling of God for him. And the, on the bigger level, God was declaring to the nation of Israel he was doing a new thing uh, as the last prophet of the Old Testament. And notice that. He was dressed a bit like the prophet Elijah and much of the same same uh, clothing and uniqueness was given to John the Baptist as was the Old Testament prophet Elijah. But more than that, he was uh, uh, singled out to be uh, the, the last, last of those Old Testament prophets to prepare the way for the prophet who was to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was that was his... Uh, Purpose, and that was his work, and that was why uh, his his dress symbolized his separation from all that constituted the current Jewish structure into which uh, uh, which Jesus would come uh, to bring the grace of God through salvation uh, through the Lamb of God. So that's the way he was presented as a Nazarite. I'd like us just to look in summary form at his faith that he uh, he proclaimed and. Uh, I think it's worthwhile to uh, just note uh, those aspects of his uh, the message that he came to deliver and his own faith behind it. Notice that when we're studying a lot of these characters in the New Testament, we're not given a lot about their the personal personality of their uh, of their life. We're not given a lot of details of uh, where they lived, uh, apart from general ones for specific purposes. Uh, but we're given a lot around the message and the purposes of God through the individual. And that's what we need to take away for ourselves as, as well. It was, by the way, it was one thing for the parents to be called and given these purposes for John. They obviously did a good job of what they were called to do. They raised him somehow and uh, he grew strong in their presence. And obviously he had some... Uh, 
some a very strong sense of God and his calling through the teaching of his parents. But at the end of the day, it was his decision. He personally had to respond uh, to the call of God. And notice that uh, there's one verse, and I don't have it handy here, but uh, the... the um, Oh, yes, I do. Luke 3 and 2. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. It's a very short verse, not much detail. Was it another angel? Was it What was it? We don't really know. Uh, further on, we have a hint that he was visited by someone who told him that his message was to baptize, a message of repentance, and he, he was to baptize, and that he was to... Uh, uh, carry this message in this particular geography, and he would rec- he would recognize the one who w- he was preparing the way for uh, when he saw the dove, like the Spirit of God, dwelling on him, uh, so that he would recognize him when he saw him uh, in the in the hills of uh, Galilee and, and Judea. Uh, it was his. Re- response then that was so important at this juncture. We have been called by God individually for specific purposes. How have we responded? It's not, and, and John the Baptist said the, this to the nation of Israel when they came to him. They said, it's not the fact that you're a son of Abraham that brings you to God. It's not the fact that you're the son of this parent and that parent or you were born into this situation or that situation. It is when God calls you and me, our response is what is important to God. He wants to see in our heart our responding to him and saying, Yes, Lord, be it as you will in my life. I will serve you. I will be saved by you. I will serve you as you have called me to do. So that's something to note that John wasn't just an inheritor of his family's faith, he himself uh, had faith uh, in response to the word of God that came to him. John 1 and 6, There came a man who was sent from God, his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not that light, he came only as a witness to that light. And as we Look at the scriptures around his faith, and we don't have time to go into them all. We can see uh, that he clearly understood, right, in the Gospel of John, if you turn over the, there, you'll find this, uh, uh, where, these, where this little chart comes from. You, you, when you look at the faith of, of John the Baptist, and you compare his, his words about himself to what was said by him and uh, by the Gospel writers about Christ, uh, John came into the world, Christ was for, from all eternity. John was a man. Christ was the Word, the expression of God in human form. John was sent by God. Christ was God himself. John came to testify to the light. Christ is the life and light of the world. John came to prepare the hearts of men so that they might believe uh, his message. And Christ was the one who is to be received. Now, that's kind of obvious to us, but if you were in John the Baptist situation and you started to uh, see that this message was attracting a lot of people to you, after all, he was probably a hermit. He was certainly living in the desert and eating uh, 
in a, such a way that he wouldn't attract too many friends to dine with him and wasn't wearing the clothing that would attract many to be his friends and identify with him publicly. And uh, he was held uh, by the strength of the faith that he had been given and the knowledge that he had of who was to come that kept him from going astray in the message that he had to give. Uh, that becomes an important point as we move on and as his fame grew, and we'll talk about that a, a bit in a moment. His, uh, his faith was expressed in the message, and uh, we're familiar with most of this, I think. Uh, his message was summarized as a message of repentance for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, there's two aspects to this I just want to highlight. One is the message of repentance. Uh, he was not a gospel preacher yet. In, in the full sense of the word, this was a partial message he had to give to the people. Now, the people were the nation of Israel who had not heard from a prophet for some 400 years. The intertestamental period of history for the Jewish people was a very rough period of time. The Jewish people were under a foreign power again, and they'd just gone through 400 years of, of wars and all of these kinds of situation. They had the promise of the Messiah given in the Old Testament, and they were looking forward very much at this point in time for a Messiah to come and deliver them from these these powers and establish his kingdom. They were thirsting for that. And uh, and so the message of the kingdom of God is at hand was an attractive one to them because they were looking to get the powerful God of heaven to, to reestablish his kingdom uh, as he had promised, and we were looking forward to the Messiah that was to come. And so we see that there, this, this, uh, the, the message was uh, that of a prophet from Mark, in Mark chapter 1 and verse 2. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths uh, for him. Uh, and then he came... Uh, in this preparatory message that he had to give, it was a partial message, as we'll learn more of in a moment. Uh, John came baptizing in the desert region, region and preaching a baptism of repentance according to the word of the Lord that had came to him for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized in the Jordan River. You can see this momentum building. The whole Judean countryside. So that is this whole region of uh, uh, Israel at the time uh, under the kingdom of Herod uh, who, were, who were said that they were coming out to see him in the Jordan, of River, uh, Jordan River area, hear his message, and they would, many, most of them would respond to the message and they would be baptized. So you can see the momentum building and the uh, big uh, thing that was going on through John the Baptist. Uh, just a quick word on the baptism of repentance. Uh, why was this given to John to do? It had roots in the uh, purification uh, aspects of the feasts and the preparation for the feasts in the Old Testament. And there's a lot that could be said about that. But the rites of water purification and water bathing uh, was very prevalent in Judaism of the time. And the Gentile conversion with the ceremonial bath was was given by God for any Gentile who wanted to come to God uh, through, the, for, through ju, ju, uh, Judaism uh, 
uh, had to be uh, water uh, ceremonially bathed in this way, administered by themselves. So this was developed by the Lord for John to preach a message of repentance and they were to be baptized uh, by John in a ceremonial bath, namely the Jordan River, uh, as as the confirmation of their expression of repentance and and faith in the Messiah who was to come. It's interesting for the Jews that uh, they would respond to this somewhat strangely, you would think, that they were being given the same requirements of, uh, of this baptism as a pagan Gentile was being given. And that's exactly how God wanted it interpreted. He was doing a new thing in Israel. He was bringing the Lord Jesus into their, into their presence as the Messiah, the sent one of God. And it was a message that would go out to Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles alike. In this message, John was looking for a changed life and an understanding that the full salvation was in the one to come. And we'll see that in a moment. But that's a, just a brief word on the nature of, the, of his message with respect to baptism. Now, here's where this momentum uh, comes to uh, bear on the people who heard the message. And we have some samples of what, what the people were looking for as they came. <clears throat> the Gospel of Matthew the message was that the axe is already at the fruit of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown, thrown in the fire. John is, the Baptist is, presenting, is, is preaching to these people to say, look, prepare yourself for the coming of the Messiah. Oh, what do we have to do to prepare for his coming? Well, you have to repent of your sins. You have to turn to God and ask for his forgiveness. You, you, you'd be baptized as a, as a genuine reflection of what God has asked you to do. And uh, John is pre- uh, preaching the message of good fruit in your life. This isn't just an empty, hollow thing that goes on in the temple every day. Uh, this is the, what God wants, is the genuine uh, response of your heart. And so I've highlighted in, in red uh, some of the different groups of people who came to them with their unique questions around this production of good fruit. And we won't take too much time with this, but John answered, you must be generous. If you have something to share with someone in need, uh, you, should, you should do so. That's one example of the fruit in your, your context would come. Of course, the sinful tax collectors who are ripping everyone off, not by the rightful collection of taxes, but by their margin that they requested of people who couldn't read the tax laws for themselves and pocketed that as their fees and so on. Uh, teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to. And the, some soldiers had some other things. We won't go into it all. Uh, but generally, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. And he answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And with fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor to make ready uh, the coming of the Lord. So we might just pause there and evaluate our own lives as well. We're, pre- we're seeking to prepare our hearts for the coming of the Lord, whether it's at the rapture, the events that are to come when he comes again, or whether it's uh, uh, tomorrow's living. We're seeking to make sure that our hearts are purified that the fruit that God is looking for in our lives is present uh, 
and committed to by us. And as we, as we, uh, uh, seek to prepare people around us in the, in the people that he puts in our paths to witness or share with them the love of Christ, that we would uh, be like the Apostle John and give these kind of answers for, uh, for how it is that we would draw close to the Lord. The next uh, aspect of his life, and we're just going to briefly touch on this, we've hinted at it already, his fame. Mark 1 and 5 says, The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem. Now, don't miss that point. The, the, uh, the impact of this message was throughout the whole nation. And everyone was talking about the coming of the Lord. Would that be our situation today, right? If we had that kind of impact, if the Lord would help us to get that message out in such a way that everyone was talking not about Donald Trump, but talking about the, the our Messiah who is to come and to deliver to all the kingdom of, of Christ. All the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, they were baptized. Now, of course, this creates a risk for a leader. Uh, he's got all of these people coming to him, they're even coming from Jerusalem, the Jews, the priests, and the Levites, and they are saying, are you the one that's to come? He could have easily said yes, run off with the money and all of the things that the power can tempt people from. But John the Baptist was faithful, and he kept to the message and purpose that God had given uh, to him. Notice what, talking about his fame, a verse uh, from the Lord himself later on, I tell you the truth, among these born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Wow. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. I wish we had time to look at the second part of that verse, but it's not our purpose this morning. The, the fame that came to him was huge in his time. And yet he, whatever was going on around him, he stuck to his calling to prepare uh, for the coming of the Lord. Uh, these different groups came to him, uh, and, and I just want to highlight the faithfulness of this man. Before the authorities, he's been preaching this message, and the, the various groups of people came to him to challenge him, to find out who he is. Is this legitimate? Is he the Messiah? Is he a prophet? <clears throat> Notice the level of the people that came to him. The Jews of the Jerusalem is mentioned frequently in the Gospel of John, and it's simply, I think you'll, you'll agree if you read them all, that it, it's, it's the, or maybe you won't, uh, these were the leaders of the Jewish nation, of various categories, but the ones of influence who said, go there. They sent, the, first of all, the priests and Levites were sent to John the Baptist. Who are you? Are you this? Are you that? He says, no, I'm only preparing the way for the one who's to come, who is in your midst already. So he sent the religious people. He also sent the Pharisees who were religious, but they were also powerful leaders in the Sanhedrin. They were sent. And uh, John kept his faithfulness to the Lord through all of this questioning and spoke by the Spirit, the word of the Lord, to them as well and told them that they had to repent, that they had to follow the message, that they had to be baptized, even the big shots, as I can use that term, uh, from Jerusalem. I didn't put in this list, but of course Herod, himself was paying attention to this message. He was concerned about his power when he heard about all the things going on out in the Jordan, out in the, out in the farm country. 
wow, he was concerned about all the people and their tax collecting capability uh, turning to a new new leader. His faithfulness. In his faithfulness, he was alert for the coming of the Lord. John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me. I'm assuming perhaps that this was the one who talked to them to the desert, perhaps an angel who sent me to baptize with water. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. He was alert for the coming of the Lord. We can ask ourselves that question for today. Are we alert for his coming? Will we recognize him when he comes? Are are our hearts ready? Are we serving him in such a way that he will be pleased with what he finds when he comes? All of those things are obvious applications and challenges to us as they were for John the Baptist. And he was faithful in his response. When he saw the Lord, when he saw the dove, the Holy Spirit on him, he recognized who he was. And more than recognizing him, he directed his disciples to Jesus. And this is where his humble faithfulness comes in. This is not a leader that is the one at the front and always has the, has the power grip on people who come to him and, and tries to influence them and exert them and do what he wants and so on. He directs them, who were his disciples, to become disciples of the Messiah, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, he, his humble faithfulness is something that stands out here. That he, he, he's not trying to win notches on his shotgun Bible of preaching. He's, he's out to simply direct those people to become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's our earnest plea here this morning. That we turn, anything we do here is for the sole purpose of directing individual people in their hearts and minds, to the Lord, that they might know him, that they might know his salvation, that they might commit to him as Lord of their lives, that they might live for him wholeheartedly. His humble faithfulness. Then we come to the baptism of Jesus. This is a well-known part of the story. Uh, There's an aspect to this this that comes to... uh, to mind that uh, when he was asked by Jesus to baptize him, he says, not me, Lord. Why do you come to me? I should be being baptized by you. When the Lord comes to us, I think oftentimes we have that kind of response. But Lord, not me. But Lord, I'm not going there. But Lord, but Lord. I'm not going to do this. Why why not someone who's gifted and all... If the Lord calls us, we need to, like John the Baptist, humbly say, be as it is according to your will, Lord. And we submit to it obediently such that he, his purposes that are expressed in his calling of you and his particular gifting of you and me, maybe, and, uh, and follow him with our, our whole heart in obedience, recognizing that the one who came is the one From heaven, uh, our heavenly Father, speaking to his Son, you are my Son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. What an energization for for John as he recognized this. There's the tough part of this story that comes up and speaking about faithfulness. 
Luke chapter 3.18, with many other words, John exhorted the people, preached to them. John rebuked Herod. I alluded to this earlier. The Tetrarch, because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things that he had done, John the Baptist rebuked him, calling him to repentance, calling him into relationship with God. But through that, Herod denied the message. And he locked John up in prison. And uh, there John, and I looked up, how long was John in prison? For two years. That was, uh, if you look at the time charts, it's a long time to be in prison while Jesus is preaching. John, the forerunner, has been laid aside in doing his work from prison. And we see glimpses of that. He was still faithful in prison, but of course it raised the question in his mind as part of the story is, it's not unlike us when we get locked up in some way that we can't serve the way we want. Um, God has a purpose. And, and in his case, he, he sent some of his disciples who were still looking to him for guidance. He sent them out. Would you go out and see if this man that's healing and all of that is, is really him? And you can see where this question comes from. Well, I thought we were establishing a kingdom here. I thought the Messiah was going to come and establish his kingdom. And here I am trying to be part of the kingdom and he is powerless to get me out of here to help. And these are all my words, not words of scripture, but you can see how these may have prompted the, the desire for him to go and collect more evidence about who Jesus was in, in his prison. And then Matthew 14 records his end. John was beheaded uh, by Herod. And we could spend a long time on uh, why God allowed this and why it was his purpose, but uh, I'll leave you to those to follow through on those questions. So the question is, who then am I? And who would I be like if I was like him? Would these kinds of things, and there's much more there to be found, uh, am I like John the Baptist in the way I am before the Lord? Just a few quick questions to summarize it. We've all been called personally by God to be his. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What is our response with respect to accepting the Lord as Savior, having him come into our life in a real way and uh, serve him uh, faithfully? Are we living a life traced out by his spirit through his word? Are we faithful? Are we faithful? in obedient discipleship each and every day? And are we humbly witnessing like John the Baptist to the Lamb of God so others will live in him? We have time for one last chorus, and I'll call the gang up to help us with that song. Indeed, Lord, we are thankful for the call that you've given to each one of us to be your people. We pray that we might, as John did be faithful in our witness to you, that we would seek to show other people our Savior, not for our own glory, but for his glory, and that people might come to him and experience life in him, we pray in his name. Amen.